scripture reading this morning is found in Esther chapter 2. Turn there in your Bibles, follow along with me as we read Esther chapter 2. Let's all stand then together in respect to the reading of God's holy word. God's word is very important. The preaching of God's word is the focus of our service. And so we ask you not only to give full attention to the reading and to the preaching, we also ask you to keep distractions down. Now, I'm not talking to the parents who have the real small babies. They, they're gonna do what babies do. I'm talking about those who are able to walk around and can cause distractions during the service. So as service starts, before service starts, you have a time to take care of your water break, bathroom breaks, and do those kind of things. But once service starts, when you come in, you should be here. You should stay here. You should refrain from moving around in your seat, going to the back and going out. All of that needs to pause and stop. You know what? When I'm at the theater and I'm sitting in the middle row and somebody has to cross over me to go get their popcorn, cross back over me and then they two minutes later they cross back over and get some Pepsi get something to drink they cross I'm like man sit down I'm trying to watch the movie even more so with the word of God so let's keep that in mind as we conduct our services anytime we have service that you respect the word of God whether it's being preached or whether it's been spoken let's give our attention to the word of God he, Esther chapter 2. After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa the citadel, under custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given them, and let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. Now there was a Jew in Susa the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the, among the captives carried away when Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel, in custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor. And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food, and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young women to, to the best place in the harem. 
Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. Every day, Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. Now when the turn came for each young woman to go into King Ahasuerus, after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since this was a regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil and myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women, when the young woman went into the king in this way, she was given whatever, whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening she would go in, and in the morning she would return to the second harem in custody of Shashgaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go in to the king again unless the king delighted in her, and she was summoned by name. When the turn came from for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter, to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus, into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tibet, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces, and gave gifts with royal generosity. Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther. And Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows. And it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. God give us understanding this portion of the reading of his word. If you would, let's bow for a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we've come to gather in this place to worship you, to honor you, to hear your word, to obey you, to live out and encourage one another in our living for you. Bless the word as it is preached this morning. Give us an understanding. Encourage and challenge our hearts to obedience and faithfulness and trusting in you. Encourage us to forbear and to endure the challenges that we face that come up against our faith and our trust in you. We thank you for each one here. We pray for those who couldn't be here today. I think of my mom as she's with my dad who's not feeling well today and his health, so we pray that you would watch over and bless him. We pray for uh, others in the church who have just 
uh, different issues with their health, that you would strengthen, that you would protect, and you would bless. We thank you for your protection during the week. We thank you for those who work on dangerous jobs, whether it's climbing on tree limbs or, or uh, watching over and, and uh, being a police officer and, and guarding our city in that way. We thank you for that protection. We thank you for watching over Aaron and Jeremy and their jobs that they do. We thank you for um, each one who has traveled and, and allowing them to be back with us. We think of uh, the Ellies and thanking you for their safety as they've traveled back. Um, those who travel, uh, we, we think of, of Cliff and Joyce who just travel each week back and forth to Kenosha. We know there's a number of incidences on the freeway in that section. and. Uh, You've kept them safe, and Cliff, who travels every day for work here, we thank you for that safety, and uh, we ask you to continue to watch over and bless your people now. Bless this time of worship, that all might be done to your honor and your glory. Change and turn hearts towards you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Bible as a whole shows God working in extraordinary ways. The book of Esther shows us God working in ordinary ways as well as extraordinary ways. And we can be encouraged in our lives that we can see God working. The book of Esther is particular, it's peculiar because the name of the Lord is not mentioned throughout all the book not mentioned even once, not even said that people pray to God, but it's in the word of God, it's part of the canon of scripture, the Holy Spirit has authorized it, has, has, has written it for our good, and it's a message of subtlety. It's a message that shows that even when God isn't being mentioned, he's working anyhow. And that's encouraging in our lives because we need to know that God is working in the life of his people to preserve his people and to bring about his purpose even when you don't see him working. He's working. What is God doing in Esther? What he's doing is he's raising up a deliverer to deliver his people from a very real and great threat. God's people have an enemy, but God is their protector. And he uses these means in, in, in extraordinary and ordinary means to protect his people and to bring about his purpose and his plan. That's why it's good to know when you are part of the people of God that, that God's purpose is going to be accomplished now, there are some things that we need to do, and Esther also shows that to us, what things are our responsibility to do as God continues his work and his plan. So let's take a look today at chapter 2 of Esther. Last week, we looked at a bit of chapter 2, but our focus last week was on Father's Day and what a father example Mordecai was. Today, we want to look at the overall chapter and pull out the message that God has for all of us there. I call this message, the Lord 
and man's process. The Lord and man's process. I want you to notice man's process in this chapter. There is an extensive search and process to replace Queen Vashti. This is a human process. What do I mean by human process? God didn't dictate it. God didn't command it. He didn't order it. It's something that human beings came up with. It's their ideas, their plan. In fact, we saw the plan in chapter 1. Vashti said, I'm not having none of that. You don't just call me when, when you get ready. I'm not coming out just to show you my beauty. And the king was, was, was kind of perplexed. He didn't know what to do, so he called his advisors together. And he said, hey, guys, what should we do? And they said, we got to do something, because if we don't do something, all men are going to be disrespected. And so they made a law that all husbands should be king of their homes. I want to ask them, how does that work? How's that going? So they decided they were going to punish Vashti by getting rid of her. She's out. If you don't do what the king say, then we ain't got no time for it. Get rid of her. Get somebody in. You need to know a little bit of the timing because it tells us in chapter 1 that the feast that that was held by, by King Ahasuerus were held in his third year of his reign. And that's when they had the celebration. That's when they drank and all the wine and they brought out. And that's when they wanted to have Queen Vashti come out. And she said no. Now we're going to see in chapter 2 where we are. There's a long process. It's about a four-year long process. It starts with the king in, in verse 2 wondering, man, you know, I, I kind of miss having a queen. And we need to do something, fellas. So he's asked his advisors again, and they come up with this idea I call the process, the human process. It is a process where they are going to search for and bring in a queen to replace Vashti. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. You can see this process with the advice of his counselors, his advisors. They say this. Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king. In verse 3, let the king appoint officers. In other words, let, let the king uh, uh, charge, give somebody responsibility of gathering these beautiful young women who are, are, are going to be basically in the beauty contest, and the king picks the winner, and that's who, who the queen is going to be. Now, you can say, man, that's a dumb process. That, that's stupid. That, that makes no sense. Why are they doing that? But that's, that's not the purpose of the reading. The process is what it is. You can have whatever opinion you want of it, but the fact is we have those kind of processes today in our lives. And the key element of this chapter, uh, in fact, of the book of Esther, is to show you how God is going to work in through and in spite of the processes that man has set up. So let's look at the process man has set up. Let's find a queen, they say. And let's get all the beautiful women, the available beautiful women, and put them together, and let's give them a time to just kind of groom and beautify and so they, they, can, they can get ready, go before the queen for this great, the king, excuse me, for this great pageant, and let him choose the one 
that he wants. That's the process that they set. A number of things are set. Who's going to be in charge of developing, finding and developing these beautiful women? Um, we see that in, in verse 3. Let the king appoint officers. Okay, let them gather. And then we see a particular one that's set in charge. Uh, it says, let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Sisa, the citadel, under custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch. So he's one of the king's eunuchs, one of the top seven. They were listed in chapter one. And he's appointed to take on this task of finding, uh, searching, bringing in, developing, and presenting to the king. It's a pretty big responsibility considering the king wants this done, so it's important. Um, you know, by the way, you might have a job like that that you don't think is very critical, important, but because the one who's paying you for that job thinks it's important, <laughs> they pay you, and you need to do your job. So th this is part of the, the process that goes on. Let their cosmetics be given them in verse 3. In verse 12 through 15, we can see that process. They take a whole year. Once they select the, the women they think are, 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 are candidates, they, take a, they give them seven uh, servants each. That's what they did to Esther. And, and I don't know what those servants do. They're probably in charge of diet and fitness and, and uh, you know, whatever, training, whether it's posture and speech and whatever it is. They, they train them well. They give them all the cosmetics that, that they can uh, use to, to, to make themselves the absolute best that they can be. As this process goes on, it says... Verse 4, let the young woman who pleases the king be queen. That's kind of let you know that this is a man-made process. This is made, right, for the king. The one that the king likes is the one that's going to be chosen. Like I said, we could, we could, we could pick this apart and, and say how, how silly it is, uh, uh, how we don't like it or whatever, but it is a process, and it is a process that they are going through that's set up by the king and his advisors. At the end of this, we see something that happened in verse 4 that, that kind of informs us. Let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. This pleased the king, and he did so. Let's us know that this is a human process and it's got the okay of the king. Now, one thing I notice here, since God's name is not mentioned, nor is his effect, his impact mentioned here at all. God neither condemns nor condones this process. Doesn't say it's good. It doesn't say it's bad. There's no comment on the process. And I think that's, that's important and that's unique because all of us have processes that we go through. There's structure in this life, a way of doing things. If you have a job, you, there was a certain way to get to that job. You had to be qualified. There's certain qualifications, whether you liked them or not, whether you thought they were good or right. There are certain qualifications for that job. There's certain tasks to do 
on that job. There's procedures of how to go about that job. You might not like them. You might think they need to be changed. But there's a process and there's a procedure. And you might even say, I'm a Christian. I don't have to listen to man's, man's law and man's view. I just obey God. Well, you're wrong. Because God put you on earth. And you have to live here. Some of us spend so much of our life arguing and fussing and fighting over the rules and the process instead of following and, 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 and obeying God through the process that he's placed us in. Some things that we can change and should change. One thing we need to realize we're living under a kingdom. And we're living under the rules of that kingdom. They asked Jesus, do your followers pay taxes? They were trying to trap him. Do your followers pay taxes? And he said, hey, grab a coin. Whose face is on the coin? And he said, Caesar's. He said, okay. But then throw back to Caesar what's his and give what to God what belongs to God. God didn't, Jesus wasn't advocating disobeying government and society rules. He's saying, yeah, you need to follow guidelines and rules, but you need to follow the most important and the most significant one as the one that your maker, your creator, God, has made for you. But you can't follow God without obeying whom God has appointed over you, human government and man and some of the processes that we have been set. When you leave out of here and you turn going either north or south on 35th Street, there is a speed limit on that street. And you may think what you have to do is so important, you don't have to follow that speed limit. But some of Jeremy's partners are going to be waiting there for you. They're going to turn those red and blue lights on, and they're going to pull you over and say, I'm sorry, sir or ma'am. I know you're a member of Sweet Communion Baptist Church. I know you've been faithful there. I know you've been serving the Lord. But you know what? You've been going 45 miles an hour in a 30-mile-hour zone, zone. And our process is i got to give you a ticket. There's a process that has to be followed whether we agree with it or not. You might say, well, hey, we need to change that speed limit to 45. So when I go 45, I'll be all right. <laughs> well, you have, you have that freedom to do that, but you don't have the freedom. You have the freedom to pursue that change if you want and do it the right way, but you don't have the freedom to disobey that law and go away from it when it's been set as law. There's a process there. So it says to us in verse 8, So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, later on in verse 8 it says, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had, the char who had charge of the women. It also tells us in verse 9, the young woman, speaking of Esther, pleased him and won his favor. Pleased who? Speaking of Haggai, the one who was in charge of her. And won his favor. We see 
Esther winning favor of key people and it's opening that door for what God would have her to do. God is bringing her into being queen so that she can be influential in delivering God's people. So you got to kind of look at God in heaven, looking over his people, looking over his purpose, and seeing to it that things are set so his people are preserved and protected and it's kind of funny to kind of get that vision of how he's doing it it's funny it's good for us to see what he's doing so we get insight to what God has been doing what he always is doing in the lives of his people he's working and many times he's working behind the scenes in some fascinating ways In verse 17, it tells us where this whole thing is headed. And so let's take a look at that. Start at verse 16. When Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the 10th month, which is the month of Tibet, in the seventh year of his reign. Now I want you to notice the date there. 10th month, seventh year. This feast that, 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 that Queen Vashti was, was put out in, was in the third year of the, the reign of the king, and now Esther becomes queen in the seventh year of his reign, some four years later. What does that speak to us about? God is doing his plan. God's not slow. God is continually working his plan at his pace. You, like me, sometimes get impatient with God's plan. And you think it's not happening fast enough. We pray for different things, and we want them to, to happen instantly. This week I was working in my yard, and I had to, to, to meet my wife and I were digging out some weeds, and we planted some seed. And, and uh, we put the mulch around that seed, and we watered the seed. And about five minutes after, after Donna finished water, I asked, I said, is it growing yet? You see any grass yet? That's how we are, right? We do something and we want instant results. We want to see it happen right away. God has been working for four some years. There's been a queen's spot that's been vacated and nobody has filled it yet. There's a long process for getting that queen in place and God has slowly brought in Esther. How did God do that? What did he do? Let me ask this question. What had to happen for Esther to be appointed queen? When chapter 1, the queen spot had to be vacated, right? Vashti had to be gone. God brought that about. How did he do that? King got drunk. Decided he wanted some entertainment. Queen decided she was having no parts of that. And she's out of here. King is without a queen. You say, how's God working that? That's exactly how he worked it. He did that in that way. What else had to happen? 
Well, the king had to want another queen. We see in chapter 2, verse 1, after these things, the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated. He remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. So he begins to think back and say, you know, it was nice in the days when I had a beautiful queen. Too bad I had to get rid of her. She wasn't acting right. But I want another one. So what should I do? You see, you think that thought has nothing to do with God. It doesn't honor God in any way. It doesn't show submission to God. And yet God is using that to bring about his purpose. Yes, he is. What does that mean to me? It, get, it gives me great joy to know that God is not limited by man's sinfulness, his process, his evil desires, the mistakes that he makes, all those things. God is able to use even that to bring about his plan and his purpose. What else needed to happen? Well, in chapter 2, verse 2 through 4, the king has some advisors. And so they advise the king, get a new queen in this way. This, they set up this process for him to get a new queen. You, you heard what it was, and... And the king gave consent to that. He had to say okay to what his advisors were suggesting. What else had to happen for Esther to be queen? Well, she had to be a beautiful woman, didn't she? <laughs> the Bible says she was beautiful. She was lovely to look at. God did that too, didn't he? God gives each of us abilities and traits given to us by God. We might argue, well, how come I ain't like Esther? Well, how come I'm not this or that when I desire this or that? God sets that up. That's what we call the sovereignty. He does as he pleases and set things in his way. But that's another thing that had to be set for this plan to work. But not only Esther's beauty, as we'll see later on in the book, we see Esther's character had to be there. And that's where Mordecai comes into play to serve as that standby father we talked about last week, that had to happen for Esther to have the kind of character. Because what you notice in, 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 in this time when Esther was chosen, she found favor with Haggai, the one who was in charge of the harem. She found favor with all the people. I can imagine, if you ever seen kind of the... the uh, uh, the, the behind-the-scenes stuff that happens at the beauty pageant, I could imagine that, that Esther's seven servants could have been a mess to her if they didn't like her. I ain't finna do your hair. I don't care about your nails. I don't care how your perfume smell. I ain't washing your feet. All of these things could, could, could be a mess. God is working through all of that to bring about his purpose. What else has to happen? Well, one thing is Esther and Mordecai living in Susa, the citadel, the capital of the kingdom. They had been miles away. Maybe they would not have been available to be brought to, uh, 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 even to be noticed or to be part of this selection process. Haggai or Haggai, however you pronounce his name, was chosen as an overseer of the harem. That had to happen for everything 
to fall in line. This man who's part of the king's uh, advisory committee, he's a, he's a eunuch there, he was appointed, not somebody else, but he was appointed, and he's the one who, who Esther found favor with. There may have been this, this, this connection, you would say, that these two working together bring about the purpose of God. It's Haggai who was pleased with Esther. Look at verse 9. It says this. Young woman pleased him and won his favor. What had to happen for, for that to occur? I, I believe it has to do with Haggai himself, and I believe it has to do with Esther and her character. And how she was one who, who had that kind of trait that people liked. On my way to church today, I decided I'd get a bite to eat, so I went through drive-thru in McDonald's. You, you know, I always tell you a McDonald's story or a drive-thru story. And so after, um, after I ordered my food and, and I went to the window, um, the young lady there, I got to the window. She opens the window, you know, hands me my thing, doesn't say a word. Welcome to McDonald's. Thank you. Here you are. Here's just hands it to me. Give me my bag. Huh. And so I said to her, thank you. And she looked at me like I was crazy. Didn't say a word. And so I took my bag and I drove off. I said to myself, she's no Esther. <laughs> she's no Esther. I'm not talking about her physical uh, look or attraction. It had nothing to do with that. Her disposition was not that which attracts people. Oh, common courtesy is what it is. You expect that when you go to a place. You have a choice and you spend your money in one place or another. There's a character there. And there's a teaching and training there that God comes into play. And I think those two came together. Esther had a character, but she was teachable as well. And somehow Haggai was able to teach and communicate and connect with her so that both of those things went well. This is what happened or had to happen for God's plan to come into effect. Another way to look at it is these are all the things that God orchestrated to make sure that his purpose was going to be fulfilled. All the little things. We start off by saying God works in extraordinary, extraordinary ways. We love looking at the miracles that God does, the miracles that Jesus does. But here's a behind the scene. Look, this is just as much as a miracle, but it, it's in an ordinary means. The superhero here is a courteous young woman. <laughs> the superhero here is, is the, the woman who simply does and, and, and obeys God in what he has for her to do. So she wins favor. Look at verse 15, the last part of that. It says, now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. All who saw her. I would imagine in that kind of competition, there would have been a lot of people who would not have liked Esther. She thinks she all that, right? She ain't going to win. Why? Because you just don't like her. That's why. 
But I think God worked in such a way that in spite of all the nitpicky, all the nonsense that can go on behind us, in spite of all that, God orchestrated it so that she won favor and was set up for the purpose that God had her to be set up for. Here's some practical lessons that I want us to get from this. God can work and accomplish his purpose regardless and in spite of man's government or process. I want you to consider that today in a couple special ways. I think that's important. And I think that's a valuable lesson. I hope you get it. God can work through or around it. He's not bound or limited by man's process. One of the greatest examples of this is the trial and crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a time when an absolutely perfect, innocent man is wrongly condemned put through an illegal trial. It was illegal because it was at night. Trials were not supposed to be at night. You don't do things in the dark of the night. By, by Israel law, they were not supposed to have trials at night. They walked him through the back door of the chief priest, so to speak, and had a forced trial at night. Snuck him in. Everything they did was against the law and wrong. And the verdict was absolutely wrong, so wrong that Pilate could hardly sleep. We see, a, we see a, a, a parallel between Pilate and his wife and Haman in, in the story of Esther and his wife. Haman says, Haman's wife says to, to him, hey, you messing around. If Mordecai is a Jew, you ain't going to get too far. You were messing with the wrong person, dude. That's what she told him. Same thing Pilate's wife said. <laughs> you, are, you are working with a perfect, a sinless man, an innocent man. Everything they did to Jesus in that trial was wrong. The crimes they committed that, that they accused him of were false accusations. And in Satan's view, he's bringing this whole thing, just his plan is fitting together great. He's getting rid of Jesus. God is using this whole thing. Why? Because early in Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He was pointed out to be the Lamb, the one who will pay the sacrifice on the altar, who will be given as a sacrifice for man's sin. How did that happen? How did God allow that to happen? It was because evil, wicked men falsely accused and then applied a death penalty to the innocent, most sinless person who ever lived, the greatest injustice of all history. But God allowed it. In fact, not only did God allow it, he orchestrated it in such a way. You see Jesus on the cross when he begins to, 
to, to quote Psalms, he is showing that everything that was spoken of him in the Old Testament has been meticulously uh, 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 fulfilled to the letter, to the T. This isn't happenstance. This isn't just something that was thrown together. God orchestrated to show his power, his dominion over man's wicked government. Not only his power to, to abide it and to put up with it, but his power to use it for his own purpose. And for our good, God says, I'm going to take a wicked process and a wicked people and an innocent son, and I'm going to use that to fulfill all that I've written of him in the Psalms and in the Old Testament. And I'm going to fulfill every detail that I've spoken of. And my son is going to lay down give his life on the cross and be put to death and condemned and die for those who would trust in him. The greatest fulfillment of God orchestrating over man's process, how sinful it was, shows God's great plan and his ability to accomplish his purpose. Now let's apply that in some constructive ways in our own lives. This applies to you and your employment. <laughs> There's a process for hiring. There's qualifications that, that, that need to be there. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a drug test. <laughs> there's there's uh, a lot of times there's a... Uh, there's a uh, financial test in, in terms of, of your credit rating and so forth. Those, all those things that, that uh, are rules and guidelines that your employer has for you to follow. And you, you think to yourself, this ain't of God. <laughs> it's just man's process. But God is able to use to, or to go through and to accomplish his purpose to provide for you in spite of within or outside of man's guidelines. Same thing applies with promotions. What is it going to take for me to move up in my company? We'll get a good example of two people who moved up in, 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 in their line of, of work in the book of Esther. We'll see Haman who was promoted uh, and then demoted. We'll see Mordecai who was demoted and then promoted. We'll, we'll see both of those, and God orchestrates them both. What's the encouragement? You may not trust the process. You don't have to. Trust God who's over everything and not limited by the process. So whether it's on your hiring or promotions or transfers, I remember early as, a, as an engineer working in a company, I was thinking, God, you are moving me in the ministry. But I don't know what to do. I don't know where I should be. I would, I would take my lunchtime and just fast and, and walk and pray as, as, as I had lunch. And I'd come back to the office and, and be just frustrated that things weren't happening. I couldn't see changes going on. I didn't know what God was doing. <laughs> but God is working behind the scenes. 
God is setting things up. And we don't, we don't have to trust the process. We trust a person who's over all of those things. In discipline, in firing, in layoffs. You figure, you know, I need this job, but I got laid off. What is God doing? What am I supposed to do? How is he working? In your wages, whether it's a wage freeze or trying to get a raise, or retirement rules or pensions or benefits, there's rules and there's a process for all of those things. And we come and we pray to God and we say, God, how do this is my request. This is what I'd like to see. How, how do you work all this out when these rules seem to go against me? But God is able to work through, in, and around any and every one of these processes that are set up. We see it in the legal area. It's court cases. There's suits and settlements. There's processes for each one of those, and we wonder, how does God give this thing that, that, that we want? How do we get in favor? How do we get a favorable judgment? Or how do we get the thing that, that we desire when it doesn't seem like these processes are lining up with us? It seems like they're stacked against us. Know that God is able to work through and around. If you could look in those four years from the time Vashti was relieved of her duty to the time that, that, that Queen Esther was set up as queen, you might ask, how in the world is God going to do this? The people who hardly even notice, how is one going to go from being a nobody to being the queen? What's the chances, even if she is beautiful and a lovely person, what's the chances of that happening? God brings it about in the way that only he can do it, in the only way that he can orchestrate it. In the legal area, we deal with settlements or inheritances or penalties or fines or bankruptcies, or foreclosures, and, and we wonder, these processes that are there, they, how do we get around it? We, 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 we pray and sometimes banging our heads trying to figure out how do we get to where we need to be. What we learn through the book of Esther is two things. One is we need to trust God. And one of the things that I hope this study in the book of Esther will do, it will settle our faith in God so that no matter what situation we're in, we learn to be anchored in our trust of God. The other thing that we should do and we should learn from the book of Esther in these events is that God has a role and a responsibility for us to do. So while we're anchored in our faith and our trust in God is not wavering, what that faith will do, faith makes us faithful. Faithful means going about doing the thing that is your responsibility and keep on doing it. Don't let up and don't get discouraged, but keep on being faithful. Because you have faith, you must be faithful. 
that God is going to do his purpose and do his plan. The other thing, uh, there should be a third thing. I mentioned it in our trust in God and in our faithfulness, our, our walk and our consistency. And another thing is, is our wisdom and understanding. This is the thing that we wrestle with all the time. Understanding, Ephesians 5 uh, tells us about this, understanding what the will of the Lord is. We are not going to know all of God's will, but we need to understand what God is accomplishing and purposing so that our prayers aren't just self-centered and selfish. Lord, give me a new Mercedes-Benz. God can do that. But what you going to do with it when you get it? How are you honoring God with that? The same thing with a job. I have, I have people who say, Lord, a pastor, church, pray for me for a job. They get a job, you don't see them at church anymore. And you go, hey, hmm. Think that's God's purpose? It wasn't God's purpose for you to treat it that way. God blesses you and you take that blessing and then you're no longer faithful in his service. Understand what the will of the Lord is so we begin to ask, not for our own selfish purpose, but for the glory and for the purpose of God. Understanding that if we're in his purpose, we're good. We're set. He's going to take care of us. But we need to be not about ourselves, but about his glory, his purpose, his will, his design. That calls submitted to him. Surrender to him. So I think those three things, Esther, should help guide us in strengthening our trust with trust in the Lord, strengthening our resolve to do what is all of our responsibility to do. An example of that is Esther and, and Mordecai. Esther continues in this process, faithfully taking care of herself and doing all that she's been told to do. She obeys Mordecai in the guidelines he has set for her. We see that in her character. She does things in such a way she finds favor with Haggai, the, 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 the key eunuch who's, who's set to oversee her. And then when she's brought before the king, her character, her beauty, all that together is in such that it pleases the king. She's fulfilled all that God had for her to do that we get those three things as we go through this study. We get an awesome sense of God's working even when we don't see what we would think of direct action by God or a direct miracle. You know, you, you pray for your finances and you love to wake up in the morning and see, you know, that plant that was on your table in the dining room. You see the leaves just, just, $100 bills just growing off them leaves, you know. You coming in, Lord, you answered my prayer. There go $100. Oh, there's another one, $200. Oh, man, the victory, $300, $405. I'll go pay my bills. <laughs> now, God does work like that. You have to ask Aaron. He can tell you the story of going to the grocery store and needing some money and looking down and finding it. <laughs> ask him about that after service. He'll give you testimony. God can work in extraordinary ways. What he, wants, what, he, what he wants you to do is as you pray to trust him. And so what you do is you get up early on time that morning and pray so you can get to work on time so you can keep your job. Amen. He 
and be a testimony and do what you're supposed to do. <laughs> I was out in the neighborhood yesterday. We were doing evangelism. I was talking to a young man who was, you know, he had a couple of issues going on. And he was looking for a job, and I was asking him kind of what his search was like. And, and uh, he had been searching. He had gone, you know, through the regular ways. He had a couple Internet sites he had looked at for jobs. He had a couple uh, temporary uh, uh, um, setups, uh, temp locations that, that, that helped you resource and get a job. And, and one temp source had let him go because he had not been faithful on his job. Now, he had a couple of reasons why that had happened, but the fact is, we have a responsibility, don't we? We have a responsibility to do what God has appointed us to do and be faithful in it and, 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 and continue in that way. I think Esther is a beautiful example of that. She didn't know all what God was doing, but today it's time to get ready, get up, put your makeup on, get your hair done. Eat the food you're supposed to eat. Do the exercise you're supposed to do. And after four years, we see the process of that and the culmination of that. Are you doing right now what God asked you to do? Are you doing right now what God asked you to do? I'm not asking you if you're perfect. I'm not asking you if you're sinless. I know the answer to that already. I'm asking you, are you faithful? Because nothing stops you from being faithful but you. Nothing stops you from being faithful but you. And faithful is just that, being full of faith. I actually trust God. I was, I was in, a, as I mentioned, we were talking to people in the neighborhood, and my wife and I went to this back behind the alley kind of scene. There were about 12, 15 guys lined up in that alley, all with, you know, the 20 ounce and 40 ounce, I should say, and just drinking and just, that was their hangout. We busted up that party. <laughs> we had a good time. We took the gospel right where the gospel was needed. Everybody hanging out, but we were able to, to give the gospel to, to almost everybody there. A little uncomfortable at first, but I realized, hey, I shouldn't be uncomfortable. <laughs> I got the good news. God has given us the Holy Spirit to speak to individuals. This is the hope that they need to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be faithful in the task that God has given us to do and let the results lead the results up to him. Are you doing what God has called you to do? And if you fall short, the next question is, are you willing to submit yourself to that? The answer ought to be yes every one of us ought to be yes. Lord, I want to walk in obedience to you regardless of my circumstances. I, I want to be faithful. You know, sometimes as Christians, we, we need to have blinders on. You know, back in the old days, in a horse and a buggy, they put a blinder on a horse. A blinder wasn't nothing but something that went over the sides to, to take out your peripheral vision. You know what peripheral vision is. You're looking straight ahead. I can see what's going on over here, see? And that can be a distraction to me. So you put a blinder so I can't see that. All I can see is what's right ahead. <laughs> Sometimes as Christians, we need some blinders on. We need to stop being distracted by all the stuff that's happening around us. Now, this stuff is going to happen. There's always distractions in your life. You have to learn how to focus. 
That's what the blinders should help you to do. Learn how to focus on faithfulness and what God has called you to do right now. We're looking at what we could be doing five years from now, what we hope to be doing ten years from now. If everything goes right, the position we're going to be in, God is saying, look at right now. Be faithful in what I've given you to do right now. Esther could be dreaming, one day I'm going to be queen, and when I'm the queen, I ain't going to have to be sweeping no floors and mopping and, and, and dusting and doing all this stuff. She wakes up in the morning, what, what's her attitude? I ain't going to do nothing. I'm going to be queen one day. Instead of saying, you know, today I have a responsibility to sweep floors, <laughs> to mop to clean. Let me put my blinders on. Let me be focused on what God would have me to do. And that takes a faith to say, God, I'm going to do what you give me to do, and I'm trusting you to give me favor where I need favor. We talked about this thing of God working in all these situations. I want to mention the medical as well. That God is able to work in the process or around the process. My father-in-law has dialysis set up. He's looking to be on a on the list for a kidney transplant. There's a process there, isn't it? God is able to work in that process. You have processes like that, whether they be medical or in some other kind of way. <laughs> but he knows what he's working on that he can qualify for that. That's the focus right there. That's the focus right there. That's, that's the responsibility God has given to us. You can't, you know, uh, you, 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 try to, you try to move and try to change that, you get off track. We, we have a scandal that's happened in our colleges because people, parents have paid and, and scammed so that their, their child can, can either get their, their tests skewed or, or changed or, or bypass that and get put in the college that they want to get in. That's what we try to do, the wrong thing. What we need to be focusing on, <laughs> doing your homework, <laughs> going to school, being on time, checking that, that math and that science homework that you've got. Be steadfast, be faithful at that task that God is giving you now. Do that. What is God giving you to do right now? In this church, what has God given you to do? If you don't know, you ought to be asking me. You ought to be asking one of the deacons here. Deacon, stand up for a second. We got one missing. He's 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 uh, he's got my okay to to visit another ministry. We got one, two, three. Andy's in the. There he is, Andy. Oh, he got a little one. But raise your hand, Andy, so everybody know where you are. Okay, all right. I just want you to know. You ought to be asking one of these men. What am I supposed to be doing? What am I supposed to be doing? What's my gift? What do you think God has called me to do? What should I be involved in? What should I be about? If they can't tell you, come to me. And we'll both meet and we'll figure it out. We'll make it our task to figure out what does God have you here for? Too often people try to change their location instead of changing their character in their faithfulness. I can see Esther. Man, I'm getting out of Susa. I'm finna move down south. I'm finna move up north. It's more job 
uh, possibilities and more things opening up that maybe what you need to get out of is the bed. <laughs> maybe you need to begin to do the thing that you should be doing instead of moving to some place where you think it's easier. God has given you a responsibility to do. As we sum up today, we see this thing carried out in the greatest way in Jesus at the cross. God has orchestrated even the normal and abnormal events of our day and of our lives so that he accomplishes his purpose. And look how great and how grand his purpose is. His purpose is to care for his people and to deliver them. And that's what he's doing through Esther. That's what he's done through the Lord Jesus Christ. And they sacrifice Esther, we'll see later, and Jesus Christ in, in his obedience to God the Father so that he might accomplish the purpose that God has for us. But God's will is the perfect will. It's one that's for our good. The question is, are we trusting in God? As I mentioned before, you may not trust the process, and I understand that. I wouldn't even advocate that you trust the process itself. I would advocate this, that you trust God, who's Lord over every process, and be faithful in serving him. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray that it might meet ears that are willing to hear and hearts that are willing to obey and follow you and serve you. Challenge our hearts, Lord. Are we doing the task that you've given us to do, and are we faithful in it? And if not, Lord, that we be willing to be committed and faithful and submitted to your will and your process for whatever time period you have, whatever process you'd have us go through, we'll just be happy and content to know that you are with us and that your power will accomplish your purpose in our lives for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.